Welcome to the Self-Value Podcast, where self-discovery is your superpower. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Sue Bryce and our lineup of amazing guests. Together, we'll explore the distinct connections between self-value, relationships, career growth, and financial abundance. Through real personal stories and expert wisdom, we'll arm you with sustainable tools and strategies to become the best version of yourself and create the life of your dreams. Hi, everyone. My guest on the Self-Value Podcast today is Jen Swadeen. Jen is an internationally certified ADHD life coach, creative, and entrepreneur who not only shares some of her own self-value journey with us, but talking with Jen is so comforting when you have ADHD because you realize that there are strategies to put into place to help when your brain works a certain way. This is a do not miss episode if you either have ADHD, you have a hunch you may have it, or if you just need some overall great strategies to help in everyday life in general. Okay, let's get started with today's episode with Jen Swadeen. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the Self-Value Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. This is exciting. Mm-hmm. It's exciting because I know that, um, well, for one, I get to learn more about you, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. And two, I know that uh, we share a little bit of how our brain works. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited to learn more about my own brain. I love that. Yeah. yeah. This is exciting. All right. Okay, Jen, tell us a little bit about what you currently do for your for your job, for your career, and then we'll kind of go backwards and dive into how you got to where you are and just your own sort of self-value journey. And then we'll also talk about some tips and things that will really help other creators out there. So. Sure. Um, yeah. So there's two lobes of my business. One side is we offer support services to photographers, mainly boudoir photographers. So things like um, album design and ordering, uh, retouching, uh, dubsado builds, things like that, strategies for CRMs, that sort of thing. And then the other... Is it it's specifically for photographers or do you do this for other... Specifically uh, for photographers. Um, okay. And we specialize yeah. in boudoir photographers because it's kind okay. of a weird little niche that has weird requirements. <laughs> and then the other side of my business is I'm a ADHD and brain coach for creative entrepreneurs. I help them figure out how to work with their brain instead of against it. So we learn how to be productive get things done, find creative solutions for all the challenges that we face with a neurodivergent brain and just help people get shit done and without it being so hard. Yeah. Even just hearing you describe that, I'm like, tell me more because I, you know, diagnosed ADHD, not until I was in my early twenties, but, uh, you know, I can look back as a, as a kid. Yeah. And recognize that that I was not so much the hyperactivity part. I, you know, more more so inattentive. But uh, yeah, so there's just oh man, I think there's so many of us out there, and so many people don't even realize that that's what's going on. For sure, yeah, a lot of us. Because as a society, we don't actually know that much about ADHD. Um, we have this idea in our mind of what it looks like, but the only thing we really know about is how it affects little white boys. And the vast mm-hmm. majority of us mm-hmm. are not little white boys, especially as yeah. women, adult women. It affects us often really differently than it would a young boy. Um, it affects POCs differently. So there's a lot we have to learn. There's a lot of stigma around it. And there's a lot of people that go undiagnosed. I think the 
last percentage I saw was like 85% of people wow. with ADHD are undiagnosed. Um, because we don't know what it looks like. And often it shows up, especially in women, it shows up as anxiety, depression, OCD, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a myriad of things. Because if you can't trust your brain, you know, you get depressed. If you are constantly wondering what you're forgetting and, it, mm-hmm. you know, if you pay that bill, that kind of shows up as anxiety. If you can't monitor yourself socially, or social anxiety. So a lot of us are undiagnosed all of our life or you know, into adulthood for that exact reason, because we just don't know. And then you learn and then hindsight, you're like, oh, oh my God, college would have been so much easier if I knew how to work with my brain. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So I feel like I'm thinking, and I, I'm sorry, I keep bringing this back to, back to me. I'm just trying to give like some real life examples. So when you said monitoring yourself socially, there are often times when I walk away from a social situation or later on a night I'm laying in bed, like, did I talk too much? Was I overwhelming to people? Right. Did I listen enough? Like, was I, are they annoyed by me now? And they just think I'm too much. Did I make enough eye contact? Did I make too much eye contact? Did I say Mm -hmm. a weird, stupid thing? Did I blurt something out and then everyone just stared at me? I'm an (laughs) idiot. And this is also- Like, I feel like I'm too much. Absolutely. You know, sometimes. Absolutely. And so sometimes- we, to try to pull that back, we put a mask on and, mm-hmm. you know, try to be some different version of ourselves, And that's a protective mechanism because sometimes if you're too much, you get ostracized and bullied. And, and we go through that our whole life of finding that balance of authentic to you, but not like obnoxious or annoying or talking over people or interrupting them or, you know, them telling a hard personal story. And you're like, oh yeah, here's how that happened to me. Because it's how we relate mm-hmm. to things, and that's what we do. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we spend a lot of time in the shame cycle later Later, of, you know, are these people just tolerating me? Are these people going to think I'm an idiot for the whole rest of my life? When in reality, no one's thinking about that. No one cares. No, everyone's thinking about themselves the same way. Um, but, yeah, monitoring ourselves socially is a huge aspect of being neurodivergent and that's why we have so many masks, and that's why we're exhausted a lot of the time. That's also why a lot of us drink um, or can get addicted to substances, because those kind of help with the mask. I actually had someone tell me once, um, right before I was diagnosed, or around the time I was diagnosed, they said, like, oh, you're really fun when you drink at parties. It's like, I'm less reserved, so I'm worried about monitoring myself socially. You're really fun when you, you drink. You should drink more. It's like, what? Holy shit, man. To someone. Uh If I wasn't like on my own path of self value, that could have deeply damaged me. Oh, totally. Totally. It is really interesting how we we create this idea in our head of what people are thinking about us. Especially when I meet a new friend group. It's almost like I get I don't know. It's like all of the things that I've learned about self-value and to really just love myself and honor myself. Sometimes it kind of goes out the window. And then I, I mean, thankfully I have the tools now to come back quickly, but man, it's intense. Absolutely. Yeah. When I know when I, there's a recent example of this. Um, I'm new to Sue's world and you're all Mm -hmm. an established group of people and I'm introducing myself and that's really hard to like 
I look up to all of you. You're all really wonderful. You're all an established group. And then here I come in all like willy nilly and weird the way I am. So like finding that balance of this is who I am without being the weird guy or, you know, there's just so many social traps that you can fall into in those situations. And then especially when we're neurodivergent, we go the opposite way typically of instead of just showing up how we are. Um, it's so interesting because I don't think of you as weird or willy-nilly. Oh, I'm super <laughs> weird and willy-nilly. <laughs> the things that, but you know, it's not like I'm like, well, she's a freaking weirdo. Like that's just a never anything I would have ever right. thought about. And that's one of the things know? we have to remember in these situations is you're not that special, which sounds harsh, but when you actually can internalize that, it's like the most freeing thing of you show up and you're like, oh, here's all the mistakes I made. And here's all the things that people are thinking about me. But like, you're not that special. No one's thinking about you. They're thinking about their own weird uh-huh. things that they're saying. They're thinking about their own status in this group. They're thinking about their mm-hmm. own problems. Like you're not so special that everyone is just spending their time mulling over your, your whole <laughs> life. I love this. Yeah. It's such a good way to look at things. And it's, I feel like it can help people put into perspective that no one is thinking about you. And we talk about this with, with entrepreneurs who go to like networking meetings or networking groups where they're like terrified and they're so afraid. And I'm like, dude, everyone, everyone's thinking about themselves. Yeah, no one cares about you. Yeah. Just show up and say so what you need to say and, and, and be at peace with yourself. Show up the way mm-hmm. that feels good to you. And, yeah. you know, we show up in, in different ways. We all have different masks. We all have different ways that we show up in social situations and, in, you know, all the, all the different intersections of our life. But if you can work towards showing up as your favorite version of yourself, that's where the true freedom is. Now, you had mentioned, you know, someone said like, oh, Jen, you're more fun when you are drinking or whatever and how that would have destroyed you before. Can you kind of take us back and, and, you know, before you started on your self-value journey, like tell, tell us a little bit, what life was like for you? Sure, sure. So my self-value journey and my ADHD journey is all kind of combined. Um, so like many gifted neurodivergent people, I grew up, I was not popular. I was not unpopular. It was just weird. You know, some people thought I was weird and some people didn't. Um, I had a string of friends that were friends, but also really mean to me, like tell me I was too much and always, you know, trying to modify my behavior and poo-poo on my things. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was normal. Was, you know, I, I grew up in a, a kind of a rough home environment. So all the things contributed to me just trying to figure out who I am. Um, so in my early 30s, I started my company, uh, Jen Gets Shit Done, and then immediately stopped getting shit done. Like my ADHD <laughs> kicked in full force for the first time ever. I had a full brain shut down. I thought it was burnout. So I took a week off and that turned into two weeks and then that turned into two months. And then I started freaking out um, because I, I just couldn't do anything. And I started being really concerned that I had like early early onset Alzheimer's. Um, my biggest fear was I was going to like accidentally kill one of my kids because I wasn't paying attention. Uh, it was a very scary time because I could not trust my brain and I went through the long diagnosis process. It took about a year. A lot of anti-ADHD friendly work went into advocating for myself. And then as soon as I was diagnosed, um, 
I realized like, oh, all of these quirks that my friends are constantly ribbing me about aren't quirks. They're just who I am. They're how my brain works. My brain was physically developed differently than their brain. These are all coping mechanisms that I've had to put into place to survive and to function. And so it's not a deficit of me. It's not a personality flaw. None of these things are. These are just me. And Mm -hmm. it took a bit of noodling. But as soon as I realized that, like, oh, all of these things that people have always told me I'm wrong for, I just am. They just are. I can't change them. They're part of me. And that's when I really started the self-value journey of like, no, this is fine. I can't, I can't change it. So my options are I can be bummed out about it or I can just embrace it and make it a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, how did you, because you're not a doctor or like registered like ADHD medical professional or whatever. And I think sometimes we rely on you know, professionals to give us all the information when they, when they don't always, I'm sorry, medical professionals to give us all the information when we don't always get that information from them, depending, you know, from doctor to doctor or nurse to nurse, or, you know, some people are much better at providing the information than others. But like, you know, how did you figure all of this out and learn all of this? Oh, so when I was in my full brain shutdown, i got desperate. I, you know, was trying to figure out what was wrong. I was, I was honestly very sure that I had dementia and that my life was about to be really over, really complicated. Um, cause like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't remember anything like full conversations would be gone the next day. I have kids and that was, you know, very concerning. Um, so I started doing research and nothing really came through. There was of course the like, maybe you have OCD, maybe you have anxiety, you probably have depression. And and I was honestly like, maybe, maybe I should get treated for those things. And one day I was uh, scrolling the internet and I found a Buzzfeed article about ADHD people. It was like when your ADHD meds hit too hard or, you know, when you forget a thing in the microwave and they all made sense to me. Every single one, I was like, oh, wh- wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh my God. And I told my husband, he's like, nah, you, you don't have ADHD. And I, I told everyone, like, look at this article though. Like, this all is me. And every person was like, nah, I don't think so. So I went to the doctor. I finally went to, you know, I got referred to the psychiatrist. She gave me some info. She specialized just in diagnosing ADHD. She gave me some info about it. We did an intake. We did a test. And so that's when I first got the, it was very basic, bland, clinical, here's kind of what ADHD is. And so I went home and I thought about it and I realized I don't know anything about ADHD. So I started researching specifically how it affects women. And I realized there's like not enough information out there about it in general, how it is for adults, but especially how it is in women. Um, so that ADHD hyperfocus kicked in and I learned everything I could. Learning is my number one Clifton strength. So I used that with the ADHD excitement and I read everything. I learned everything. I started talking to people, asking about their journey. I got a ton of people diagnosed because then they were like, oh, I was their BuzzFeed article. Um, 
So that's it. I just have poured over everything. There are resources out there and I'm finding more and more. Um, eventually I got certified as a ADHD life coach. So I got a little bit more information and resources there. Not a lot because I'd already read everything on the internet. Um, but, but that's it. I, it's really been about reading everything I can, but then talking to people and starting to put the pieces together of, oh, we both do that thing. Or, oh, this is why that happens. This is why we function this way. And the more I talk about it, the more I hear other people with the same stuff or, you know, similar threads of stuff, similar behaviors. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you were to kind of pick a few characteristics for women or women and or creative creatives in, in general of what, what it might look like on a day-to-day basis for people who, who have an ADHD brain. Sure. Yeah. Like what would that look okay. like? Um, so ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's the same as ADD. There's no difference. Um, some of us have the hyperactivity component outwardly and some of us don't. Some of us are more the inattentive type. Um, there's multiple types, inattentive, hyperactive, and combined. We all do have the hyperactivity component though. It's just some of us, it's inside. So I'm not externally hyperactive, but my brain is, it's always going, always running. There's like, there's no calm on the inside of me. I'm, I'm always being pulled by something. Um, so ways that this kind of shows up is it's not attention deficit. In my opinion, it's attention directive disorder. We have loads of attention, like an abundance of attention. We can focus on things that we're interested in forever, but if we're not interested mm-hmm. in it, then like we can't do it. It's there would be times, Jen, which I, I feel like that's counterintuitive to what you would think ADHD. Right. <laughs> you know, people, there were times when I would sit, I would be so focused on something and I had to go to the bathroom so bad. Oh, yeah. And I like wouldn't go, like I wouldn't just get up and go. Yeah. Because I was so into it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like painful. Like and I would your still sit stuff. there. Absolutely. And I'm like, what am I doing right now? Sure. Like, this is insane. We can get so absorbed in a project or a book, that's a, a common one, um, that, like you said, we won't, we'll ignore our body cues because we don't hear body cues as well as a neurotypical does anyways. Um, we'll ignore those. Maybe we won't shower for a week because we're into it. We'll forget to feed our kids and like be proper humans. Like, We'll do the bare minimum, but it's, it's a painful to transition out of something you're hyper-focusing on and enjoying to then go back to regular life. It, it can be physically painful in your brain to, to mm-hmm. switch that on and off. Well, and then there are the things that I avoid that I really don't want to do. Like, for example, I probably have needed to have an assistant for like the last seven years. Yeah like a proper assistant who I trained. And you know why I don't? Because the thought of training someone and trying to get out of my head these yep. just all over the place. I like my systems are so I feel like most people would be like, how are you even running a business at this point? Yeah. <laughs> and how do I train someone when I have just these insane like the thought of training someone with what I 
do and how I do it is so debilitating. Like I want to rock myself in the corner when I think about that. I just have never gotten a proper assistant. Yeah. Very common. Refamiliarizing, I think is probably one of the hardest things for us as entrepreneurs. Um, you know, like, so if you stop something in the middle, you stop a project in the middle of, of doing it and you have to come back to it, even the next day, it's like, Oh, to relearn this whole thing. Like I have to figure out where I left off and where all of the things Uh are that I uh need. It's like, if you're updating your website, you have to do it all in one go or you'll never come back to it because the refamiliarization is really hard. Transitioning in and out of it is really hard. Yeah. I was so hyper-focused recently on starting to market uh, on Pinterest and I found someone to help me do the actual placing things on Pinterest and pinning things and do all of this. Like she's, and I was so gung ho and I have completely lost interest because I didn't do all of it. And and luckily she's coming back at me like, Hey, this is what I need from you, which is what I need someone to say to me. But if I hadn't found this person to help me with Pinterest, I probably would have completely dropped it all. Even though I was like on fire, I'm doing Pinterest. And then just completely dropped it. And thank goodness for Carolyn, who is now helping me with Pinterest. Yeah, so the motivation (gasps) and the challenge, these are two really important things for us, but it can't, it has to be really specific. So it has to be something challenging and that can get us motivated to do the the thing, get excited, get hyper-focused, start it. But if it's too challenging, then no. And that's where you probably would have dropped off because it would have gotten to a too Mm -hmm. challenging part and then you'd be like, meh, never mind. And then the motivation has to be there. We have to actually be excited about it or I can do it. And external motivations don't really work. Like if you say like do this and you'll make money at the end, I'm not money motivated. So I'm like, that's made up. I don't care. I have to find some sort of internal motivation, which is I have to find it interesting. But with your projects, with that Pinterest thing, what might be at play there is, is not the pin, the pinning, the, the actual platform, the, the actual project that's exciting. It's learning something new and experimenting because you like marketing, mm-hmm. you like experimenting, you like learning about that new stuff. And so that's the motivation and that's the challenge. It's not the actual doing. So for a lot of us, that's the thing. We love conceptualizing a new set and planning it out and thinking of all of the components and then buying them all. And then the stuff comes in, you're like, eh, maybe never mind. Like It's fine that I just spent 500 <laughs> bucks on this and two weeks, but now I'm like tired of it. So yeah. it's important yeah, to figure yeah. out like wh- what is the motivation there? Is it the planning? Then plan and just know you're not going to actually follow through. Like make that part of your day is planning new projects that you don't actually do. That's okay. If it's the marketing, like learn about it and conceptualize and, you know, put pieces into place. Or, um, you know, if it's the doing, then do the thing, but know that maybe not every component of the project is going to be something that you're going to be excited about. And that's where you outsource. Well, th- yeah, th- that was what I was going to say is, okay, so for people who, because for me, it's not even so much the learning portion. I know you said your Clifton strength. Okay, for people who don't know what Clifton s- stuff, we just give a quick summary. Um, so Gallup Clifton strengths is a, it's like a, an assessment, like a lot of those other person- personality test type of assessments, but it, um, 
assesses your 34 strengths. We all have the same 34 strengths, but it arranges them in order of your top strengths all the way down to your bottom strengths. And it's super unique. It's super accurate. And learning these has totally changed my life and the way that I interact with the world, the way that I run my business, run my team, run my family, um, because now I know what's important for me. So learning is really high for me. Strategy is really high for me. So I need to make that part of my daily plan and and how I make mm-hmm. my decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like the people driven stuff like harmony and, um, you know, dealing with people is low for me. So I don't make my decisions that way. I don't stay in alignment that way. Okay. Yeah. I have been wanting to do this with Terry Hoffa. A hundred percent. Do on it. This podcast. it will change yes. your life. Yeah. I'm really, I'm, yeah, I'm glad we talked about this because I'm, I think it's important to really know how we tick and doing a, another assessment that I've done is called wealth dynamics. I don't, yeah. Have you heard of wealth mm-hmm. dynamics? Sue had me do this a long time ago and I'm a supporter star ah. with deal maker mixed in there. So I, connecting people and that sort of thing. And every time I go to make a big move within my business, I come back to that You're right? Yeah, because wealth dynamics, obviously it's, it goes back to what's is your superpower as far as building wealth. Yes. So, and, and staying in your lane in those areas. And I feel like this might be such a, a great tool. Yeah, they work really well together. For Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. But I don't think learning, I'll, I'll be interested, I'll report back what mine is, but I don't think learning is going to be mine, even though it's so crazy. Because like, I learned how to become a real estate investor. I learned how to become a photographer. Like, I learned how to be a social worker. I, it's not that I don't enjoy learning. It's just I get overwhelmed by the process and the pieces. Mm-hmm. And everything that you were talking about that you kind of lights you up a little bit freaks me out. Right. Like, when I think about what motivated me to do Pinterest, it was because I've got these really great courses that I want to offer to people, but I don't know how to get them out there. Like I want to help people to build their business and do their things. And I also want to make money because I'm money driven because that gives me more opportunities to travel and do the, the things, you know, to retire early so that I don't have to, you know, work forever and I can travel with my kids and, you know, whatever. Anyways, I know I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here, but I feel like just bringing it back to, you were saying, for the pieces of the, the things that are not your superpower, that maybe stress you out outsourcing. Like how, because I feel like it can be tricky, especially if you're an entrepreneur who's just starting out and maybe you don't have the funds to outsource. You know, how as, as a creative can you, I guess, manage those things that you don't want to do when you aren't in a position to outsource? Or do you just do it anyway? Well, you know, it sounds really easy to just like, just do it anyway. Like, just make yourself do it. Have you tried a planner? Like, you know, that's what everyone says when (laughs) you have ADHD. I will never have a fucking planner. Like, like, (laughs) oh, you don't have ADHD. Have you tried a planner? And you're like, "Uh, no, I made it to 38 years old and I've never tried a damn planner. Thank you so much for your suggestion. Um, So like, (laughs) You can't just make yourself do it if you have ADHD. That's the whole deal is you can't just make yourself do the thing. So then in that case, if there's something you have to do because you can't get rid of it, you got to change how you approach it. Um, Maybe that means you need to break it down into little bites because if you look at a, you have a big task, like updating your website, that's a, that's big. And Mm -hmm. who knows how long it's going to take, who knows what's all involved, where you have to find all the resources. So instead break that down. And I call it my, I call it cheesecaking. 
break it down into little cheesecake bites because you can't eat a slice of cheesecake all in one go. You have to take little bites of cheesecake. So each of the tasks that are involved in the bigger project, break those down into manageable bites and then fo- you know, attack them that way. It's like that old saying, like, how do you eat an elephant? Just horrible. Never eat an elephant. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hate that. And beating a dead uh, horse, I hate that one. I hate that expression yeah. too. <laughs> um, so if, if you have to update your website and you just, we all put that off. That's one of the things that photographers put off forever because ugh, it's the worst. But if you break it down into like, what are the, what are the components of that? You need to go through your current portfolio and decide what comes out. Go through your new stuff and decide what you want to add in. Pull those images out and prep them for the web. Upload them to the portfolio keyword and SEO and whatever resize you need and then publish. So if you break each of those things down and that's their own task, you can do one and then you can go do something else. You can come back, do another one, go do something else because you don't have to refamiliarize. You're basically creating a, a roadmap for yourself. And that's how we have to approach everything we do in business. We have to create roadmaps for ourselves. And if you're smart, you write that down. So the next time you need to update your website, you refer back to your roadmap and you can just get to it. And then when you're ready to outsource, you already have a roadmap for them. You don't have to train them because like, here you go. Here's your guide. Here's the steps it takes to update my website. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that's it. So, that's the magic sauce yeah, that no one's doing. Yeah, right. Like when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking like, okay, I have a property to sell. I need to find a new one. And I, because according to the government, if I don't want to get hit with taxes, I have to do a 1031 exchange and I have to find a new property within 45 days of selling the other one. It has to close in 90 days. Da, da, da. I'm like, I just want to pull the covers back over my head. Yeah. Me, but if I wake horrible. up and I say, yeah, if I wake up and I say, I need to review five properties online, I'm just going to find five properties online and see if, it, see if it's a good fit today. Like, then I'm like, okay, I can do that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just, but then I'm not a, a planner person either. So I guess what, I, I've always found it effective to just have a to-do list on my phone. But I guess what are some strategies for people to keep track of those bite-sized things that you need to do? Yeah, so I actually hate to-do lists. I think they're a scam <laughs> um, because it, it works for you and for some people. But for most of us, if if you wrote all those things that you said onto a list, they all take up the same amount of space on the list, which means we can't visually tell how long each one of them is going to take, how much mental energy each one of them is mm-hmm. going to take, how much... Uh, resources each of them is going to take. So on your to-do list, you could have a thing that's going to take you three weeks next to a thing that's going to take you three minutes. But they, they, in our minds, it's the same level of importance. We also can't tell like which is the priority because it's a linear list. Um, and then, you know, we write our to-do list, we cross a couple of things off, we rewrite it the next day. Eventually, once something gets moved from your to-do list a certain number of times, stops existing to us and it still needs to be done but we stop transferring it because we've deemed it unimportant and so that's a major pitfall of just a linear yeah. rewritten to-do list I need a new if I showed you my to-do I've list seen is it probably and, yeah, like it was really scary for me I, I had yeah. three nightmares and then it. I only look at the top five things and whatever's below that it's like it, it didn't doesn't even, exist it doesn't even exist yeah. but then the next day I need a new system. who knows what future Nikki is going to be dealing with 
<laughs> so the next day, she might need to add more things to the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we need to deal mm-hmm. now with what we can do to make future Nikki's life easier, which is not hide stuff at the bottom of a to-do list. So you said you prefer a scan? No, no, I or said to-do I mis- list are a scam. Oh, are a scam. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, gotcha. So what do you do, Jen? Okay, like, so, how do you manage these? Okay, here's the process. First of all, you do a brain dump. So you just write. We're not writing a to-do list from this. We're just writing everything that's in our mind. All of those things pinging around. Because in our mind, everything pinging is, again, the same importance. So this can look like, it can come out as bullet points. It can come out as free-form writing. doesn't matter. We're just pouring out everything that's bouncing around in our mind. So we can start with a clean slate. Um, and you just write until nothing else comes out. That, that's the whole trick. And then you never look at this again. We're not pulling our to-do list from this. All we're doing is letting our brain acknowledge all these little ping, 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 floating ideas that are in our mind. So our brain can go, okay, these are all acknowledged. I can settle down. And then we can start fresh and create today's actual action items. So once we have that done, I'm serious, put it away, never look at it again. Just stresses people out. You won't forget the things that still live in you. Um, So then we're going to write our objectives for the day. Three objectives. Just the three things you want to get done today. If you get those three done, you can pull up new objectives. But three is the magic number. So what are the three things you need to get done today? And then we break each of those things down into their cheesecake bites. And I personally like to do my cheesecake bites on little sticky notes. The benefit of this is that I can always see what's on the top. They're color-coded and, and a, you know, neurodivergent brains love colors and, and color coding. But the most important thing is when I'm done, instead of crossing something off of a piece of paper, I can physically crumple it. So I get that physical tie-in to my productivity. And then I make a pile of them. So then at the end of the day, I go like, huh, look at all these things I got done. Like my pile of crumples, that's a lot of productivity. Whereas if I look at a list and it's crossed off, I don't have that same like internalized sense that there's there's no real mm-hmm. good measurement of it so that's that's how i approach it it works it's 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 a miracle system now okay no i really love this um i'm still struggling with this like master list like do you keep this master list somewhere of all of the things no it lives in your brain i know you okay see i don't i almost feel better when it's just written somewhere i don't know why yeah because you're you can't you're not trusting your brain that it lives in there exactly yeah that's exactly right so essentially your long ass list is just acting as a brain dump because Mm -hmm. your list is too long to actually be referring to it it's just a something that is there so it's not in your mind so (laughs) this is acting like a brain dump but you're not doing it often enough because it lives there for it to be an effective brain dump so keep your yeah, long list because sense. you're comfy with it. It's not causing you harm. Try a full brain dump and then write your objectives for the day. But I promise you, you're not going to forget the things that live in your brain. You're actually going to remember them better after the brain dump because you've acknowledged them again. Because mm-hmm. on your list, you're not actually regularly acknowledging them. You're ignoring them. Yeah, yeah. Which means they okay. disappear because object permanence, detail blindness, those all play a role when you have a long list like that. Those things stop yes. existing. Yep, yeah. yeah. that's true. But if you brain dump regularly, okay. you're re-acknowledging them. You're re-like, yes, I know that you're in there. And then you can decide then, like, okay. And maybe you make 
objective list. Like, here's my three objectives for personal stuff. Here's my three objectives for my business. And here's three objectives for property stuff. You know, whatever yeah, makes sense for I you. Love it. But mm-hmm. then you mm-hmm. know what you're working on that day and you know exactly what's involved in each of those objectives and you know the order that you're doing those things. So you can do, you know, the top item of one and then do the top item in something impersonal. And then you can ping pong around without that hard transition that we were talking about earlier. Yep. I love it. Okay. What are some other things that have kind of been life-changing for you that you have started to do once you understood your brain more and what you needed to do? Um, so I, the biggest benefit that I have found is I've gotten really comfortable with doing things a weird way. Um, because we all have systems for how we do things. We probably all could have better systems, but our life runs on systems. So we need flexible structure. Um, and what I have found is that if I need something done a weird way, that's not the way that normal people do, that's okay. Some, I need multiple trash cans in every room because if I don't, I'm not going to throw things away. I'm going to pile them on my desk. <laughs> Why have I never, I'm dying right now. Yeah, Why? because that's Do you know how not, many clothing tags I have sitting on my desk right, right? now? Right, yeah. Like, why don't I have a freaking trash an, can under my put desk? Put another one in there. It's okay if your office has three trash cans. Why the heck not? Oh, my gosh. I have no trash. I have a trash can in the bathroom. And then I'm like, I'll throw that. No, you will And eventually, I'll see it. There'll be enough, like, Yeah, eventually you'll hit your tipping tags point. You'll or, get upset about um, it and deal with it. Yeah, or, like, broken hair tie or something. Like, there'll be enough little sure. things on my desk. that. I- and it's so funny because I will, like, dust. Like, Around I'm very, it, yeah. I'm, like, this clean... <laughs> A super clean, unorganized person. For sure. Like, yeah. if I walk on the floor and I feel crumbs or anything, I like, I'm like, like I can't. Like I'm, my toilet is will always be clean. But when it comes to just the, the little doom piles, the, yeah, the the mound of mail, you yeah. know, like that has to be Dan's job because sure. I can't. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's, it's so finding funny. weird workarounds like that. So. For me, it makes sense. I have to have my keys in the same spot. And if they don't live on that hook, they do not exist anymore. How do you get yourself to put it on the damn hook? It's every, <laughs> like that has to be where they, because I know if I don't put them on the hook when I walk in, they don't exist. So if I find them somewhere else, I don't do anything until I walk them to where they go. Yeah. Because yeah. I know I you can't know, trust myself. And if I go like, oh, I'll do this later. No, I won't. And then. Mm-hmm. I will lose them. I will have no recollection mm-hmm. of seeing them and they will be gone for a year until someone finds them wedged under a couch. The things that are super crucial, like my hearing aids, for example, my hearing aids, I know where they are. Like I have one pocket in my purse. Like if I, I don't wear them all the time because it can get a little overwhelming. And when I take them out, there's one pocket in my purse or they are on my charger right. always and forever because those are like, I need them. Right. So it's like when there is something that I need, and there are times when I'm so tempted when I, I'm at dinner and I take my hearing aids out and I just want to shove them in my pocket because that's easier. I stop because I've lost them before. Right. And I stop and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. nope, nope. nope. Put them in the pocket. Yep. 
put them in the pocket. It's almost like I need to do that with things that aren't quite as important as well. Yeah, that's it's what we need to do with everything. So yeah, for us, yeah. habits don't form as easily for us. And even when we do form a habit, it's not the same as how other people form a habit where it's like a mindless thing. We always have to make the decision. I always have to make the decision to hang my keys up there. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. But now it's a familiarization where if I see them in my hand, I know this isn't right. These go on the, the keychain on that yeah. one hook. But also... And it makes our lives so easier. So much easier. So much easier. Yeah. So, okay. So I want to go back to what I mentioned earlier is every decision I make in life, I'm making it for the sake of future Jen, because I don't know what her life is going to be like. So if I put something off onto her, I don't know that she's going to be able to handle it because what if there's a disaster and future Jen doesn't have the capacity for whatever shit I decided not to do today? So every decision I make is within that, with that in my mind of, I think, so I had to go to a a doctor's appointment and I needed to take something specific and I set it down. I was like, okay, I'll grab that before I leave. But is future Jen going to grab that? Is she? No. Or maybe she won't because I don't know what her (laughs) life is like. She's a different person (laughs) from me. So in that moment, I went, okay. I don't know that she's going to be able to handle this. I'm just going to go walk it out to the car right now. And then when I left, I 100% had forgotten about it. I got in the car and was like, oh, oh. thanks, past Jen. <laughs> See, so I, need a, I need a past and future Nikki because everything you just said, I can even leave it by the door, Jen, and I oh, will yeah. walk right past it. Yes, I can put it's it over get the, to the car. And yeah. because we have object <laughs> permanence and detail blindness, I still won't see it. Because oh, as soon as God. something becomes part of the landscape it doesn't like it's not its own thing anymore it's part of the landscape and it can take seconds for something for me to become part of the landscape because it's just there and detail blindness runs my life i can look at something seven times and not see it because i it's it's not popping into my mind as that thing so always i'm always making my decisions for future gen because i don't know what tomorrow's going to be like for me I don't know. This concept is is like it's it's really I think going to help me a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. changed my life. Future Jen, past Nick, or sorry, your Jen. I'm Nikki. Future Nikki, like past Nikki, yeah. like yeah. So, and I almost feel like I, it's going to bring me some relief. Like when I make those decisions to put my hearing aids in the right pocket, it's a relief. Totally. In some yeah. way, does does it eventually become habit? Like no. We like, don't form it, habits the same way. So yeah. okay, you said habits, that. you did say that. Habits <laughs> actually take a very, very, very long time to form. It's over 60 days. Um, and for us, it's longer because our brains don't really work that way. What it can do, the way that we need to form a habit is through a system or like habit stacking. So if you know you make your coffee every morning and then you know, okay, I've made my coffee and every time after I make my coffee, I take my medication. Like that's how we can habit stack to make things more automated in our mind and kind of more autopilot. So anything that I can do to go on autopilot is a good thing. So I don't have to make all those micro decisions throughout the day. So it's like a series of triggers essentially. So I know at bedtime, every time I go upstairs to go to bed, I brush my teeth and I floss and I do all that bathroom stuff. And then I know I get my pajamas on, I get into bed, I take my medication, I turn the light off. These are all, they're not a habit. I make the decision every time to, to do them. But because I do it in the same order every time, it's much easier for me to complete all of them. 
And if I miss one, yeah. it's kind of hard for me to complete the rest of them. So these are just systems. It's just like in our business. We need systems to make sure we have a good client experience, to make sure the emails get sent out. We need systems for everything, to make sure we can find our files. And our life is the same. It's a series of systems that are, we can define them or not. But if you decide, like, this is how I do my morning ritual. This is how we go. And like Sue talks about her morning ritual. It, it's not really habits. She has to decide to do it. It's not natural to just get up and do it. But it's a system to start the day. And then, so everything we do needs to be some sort of system or it's just us on the fly, which we thrive mm -hmm. in that capacity, but we don't want it to be for the mundane. Yeah, that makes sense. Save that chaos for when we need chaos. And the rest of the time, we're just creating healthy chaos for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. If someone is, is kind of, you know, wondering... Do I have ADHD? What would you recommend for them to do? Um, if you're wondering, am I neurodivergent? Do I have ADHD? Am I autistic? I got news for you. You probably are. Because neurotypicals <laughs> don't sit around thinking, do I have ADHD? Um, ever. And so at that point, you can decide, do you care about an official diagnosis or not? When it comes to getting medicated for ADHD, you typically need an official diagnosis because a lot of the medications are stimulant and it's controlled. Um, so in that case, look into it, talk to your primary, see what referrals you need to get. Um, you can get diagnosed online. There's online like ADHD online and, and places like that. Um, but also if you just, if you don't feel the need to get medicated and you just want to know, then just start doing some research. Look into how it affects your gender at your age. Look into you know, like obvious symptoms or, you know, specific qualities of people with ADHD and, and see what resonates. Maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But here's what I'll say is we live in a neurotypical world. Everything is designed for neurotypicals. Everything's designed for able bodies. If you design your life to be neurodivergent friendly, neurodivergence can thrive there and neurotypicals can thrive there too. So it's okay to create those accommodations for yourself, whether you're, you're neurodivergent or not. It's okay for you to have three trash cans in your room, whether you have ADHD or not. If it helps you, it helps you. So whether you officially have these things or you don't, and whether you get officially diagnosed or you don't, the most important thing is to just think about how your brain works and what you need. Like, What are your barriers? What are your struggles? And how can you fix it? There's no law around how many trash cans you're supposed to have in your room. There's no law around what your nighttime routine is supposed to be. If it needs to be different, do it. If you need to pay your bills a weird way, do it. If you need to have someone else help you with these things, do it. Systems are only dumb if they don't work. So if your system is weird, that's okay. Well, all of this has been incredibly helpful. And I know this isn't the last time that we're going to hear from you. And Sue is going to be talking with you more and more about uh, just neurodivergent brains and how it affects us personally and professionally. And so, yeah, this is really great. Good. I appreciate yeah. it. I've learned a lot just from you know, this 45 minutes of talking. Good, I'm so, so glad. Incredible. Yeah, I think the most important yeah. thing is that, so 
a, a little bit about ADHD is that our brains are actually formed differently in development. Um, so the structure of our brain is different. So we can't change it. We're born with it. The way our, um, like our neurotransmitters work, just the way everything works with us is different. And accepting that is really important. It can be really hard for people. There's like a bit of a grief process involved. Um, but on the other side of that, accepting like, oh, I'm just formed differently. So I need to do things differently. Be like, if you had any other disorder, you had any physical disorder, your arm is formed differently. You need to do things differently. Our brain is no different. And there's nothing wrong with understanding that and then leaning into it and treating it however that looks like, whether it's medication or coaching or just lifestyle changes or just education. Whatever that treatment looks like, that's okay. And there's no shame in modifying your life to work with your brain instead of against it. There's no shoulds. There's no requirements. There's not a right and wrong of how to live your life in terms of how your brain functions. So it's okay to, to do the things do what you need to do. That's great. Yep. It's amazing too. And I know you and Sue are going to talk about this, but just how, just how, how much of this can affect, like you were saying when you were younger, you know, your (laughs) self-esteem, your self-value, like all of it can really crush you. Yeah. It affects, if you're not careful, it, it affects everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. People with ADHD are much higher to become, um, addicts, Mm -hmm. um, have eating disorders, have, Mm -hmm. uh, suicidal tendencies, have, you know, social problems because we live in a neurotypical world and the accommodations and treatment for neurodivergence is often done in ways to make us more palatable to the world, not to make our lives easier, but to make uh, us easier for the world. And that sucks and that's hard to stomach and deal with. And it, if you don't have support at home and people are telling you like, oh, you don't have ADHD, just try harder, just do better. Stop being lazy when you're like, I literally just want to do something and your brain's like, nah, like that makes you feel like shit. And if it's reinforced with you're just being lazy, then that's terrifying. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot yeah. to it. It affects every area and it doesn't have to because it's your brain. You can utilize it and work with it however you want to. And lazy is not have real. To. I love that. Lazy is not yep. a real thing. Yeah, we talked. Remember at the last self value workshop, I was saying that how I just yeah, I I just have this kind of overpowering feeling that I'm lazy if I'm not doing something, and I'm I'm always revisiting that and going back to that and uh, and just letting my brain take a goddamn break. Yeah. From time to time. Yeah. Healing is not being lazy. Doing nothing is not being lazy. But also, if you've lived your whole life, like, with your productivity being tied to your self-value, then, of course, you feel like shit if you're not being productive all the time. Yeah. It's so unhealthy. But if you have to work harder to be as productive as everyone else, then, of course, any break is like, oh, I'm going to have to work, like, 20 times harder just to recover from this break when I could just be working when in reality, of course, if you just work through all your breaks, you're never going to get anything done either. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So yeah, lazy is so not true. real. It's a societal construct and we can 
toss that one out the window. Yeah. All right, my dear. I still have a couple questions yeah. for you that I always ask at the end of each episode. And the first one is, what would you tell people who are just starting out on the self-value journey? Um, I would tell them to really focus on the acceptance. So if your brain is different and, and you're a little weird, that's okay. Work on accepting that and being comfortable with that. And then making that a part of who you are. Because once you accept that, then you can start to unmask and then you can start to show up authentically. And then you can really start to learn who you are because I'm guessing who you are is different than who you've told yourself you are. And who you are is probably really cool, much cooler than who you've told yourself you are and who you're pretending mm -hmm. to show up as. Mm -hmm. mm. That's great. Great advice. All right. Number two, what do you do when you get off track with things and just find yourself taking a couple steps backward? Um, I brain dump. I brain dump twice a day if I need to, morning and night. And I revisit my list of core values. I revisit my strengths and I use them to help me figure out where I'm out of alignment. Because if I'm off track, it's typically because I'm unaligned somewhere. I'm making decisions based on the things that aren't the right things to make decisions on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number three, what is your new favorite thing? It could be any sort of product or TV show, recipe, anything. Um, so recently, Sue gifted me this really beautiful, like, uh, vintage journal with, like, these aged cotton pages. And I have taken up a sketching practice. So I've been sketching and painting in it every day. And I, I told myself my whole life I couldn't draw and now I can draw and it's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Daily art practice. I think everyone should have some, some sort of, you know, it's interesting. Wait, you, so you feel like you're a better drawer, like a better artist now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm sure that retouching has made me a, a better artist. Yeah. Drawing for me, like I look at what other people draw and what is in my head versus what comes out on the paper is laughable. Like my yeah. kindergartner can draw better than I can. But when I was in high school and I mean, I used to go to the bathroom as many times as I could during class, any way that I could get up and out of my seat and in the hallway is what I would yeah. do. And there were some classes where I was, they would look at me like, no, you're not going again or we just weren't allowed. And I started doodling and I would create these, like always in pencil, always on the cover of my notebook. I would create some really cool things and I wish I still had them now. And I think sometimes I forget about that, how important that was for my, like that got me through high school. I'm not yeah. even kidding. Like I forget about that. So it's interesting that you brought that up. I feel like it's just something I've locked that memory out and it, maybe I need to start doing that. Yeah. Also or look like you were into saying. Um, it's called Neurologica um, art. It's very mm -hmm. cool. It's very, it's half mindless and half focused, but it's, it's very cool. And it's, they've got a ton of like really great mental benefits without having the pressure of like creating and drawing something. Cause once I took away that pressure of like making a perfect thing, yeah. then I was like, Oh yeah, I can make, I can, yeah. I can draw a wonky building and love it, but I don't want to draw a perfect building because Right, I, I right. freak out and get too precious with it. Like, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's just about like lines and shapes and 
and just letting your brain kind of flow. It's, it's, and that's exactly what I was doing back yeah. in high school. And these things turned out really cool. Like people would stare at them like, wow. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Get back into that. It's so healthy. Yeah, that's a great idea. All right, Jen, where can people find you online if they're looking for you? I'm on teamgetshitdone.com. Fantastic. Same thing on, are you on Instagram? Yeah, it's team.getshitdone. But I mean, I'm on there, sure but I, I follow don't you. Uh, that's what I was going to say. I feel like I follow you, but I don't see you very no, often. No. There. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you again. I'm looking forward to um, hearing your next talk episode with Sue. And it's fantastic. Thank you. Can't wait to see you again. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Self-Value Podcast. If you want even more about self-value to start changing your own life, head over to selfvalue.com where you can find all of the education you need to start reaching your full potential. Also, your five-star reviews really help us to continue what we do. So if you like listening, would you mind giving us a review wherever you listen? We really appreciate it. Well, that's all for today, but don't forget to head over to selfvalue.com.